0: From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis, and on the line today I have Matthew Collar of ESPN Insider and also of ESPN 1500 in Minnesota. He covers the Vikings and the wild for the radio station there. Matt, what's new?
1: Uh, not a whole lot, you know. Things are always wild out here in Minnesota.
0: Oh wow, that's uh that's a questionable joke right there.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't blame you (laughs) if you just cut me off right now after that.
0: Yeah, I gotta go. No, we're that's uh I like it. I like you throwing out a dad joke right there because we're gonna start with talking about the Minnesota wild. Um this episode we're gonna do sort of a you know who's a contender who's a pretender and we're just going to keep it to the top 10 teams right now based on points percentage and this is going into uh tuesday night's action literally every team except for two are playing tonight so you know the the order of this will change overnight surely but um this is the exercise we're going to do um so uh off the top we will talk about the minnesota wild are they a pretender or are they a contender in your mind
1: definitely say that they're a contender. I I know that there are some numbers, their Corsi number and things like that, that uh, are not as good as some of the top teams in the league, but everything else across the board has been very impressive for this team from uh, how much Bruce Boudreaux has gotten out of the younger forwards on the team. I think we've seen great progress from players like Nino Niederreiter and and Jason Zucker and and Mikael Granlund have uh, moved up to, I guess, where the Wild always expected them to be in terms of offensive producers and, in Niederreiter's case, uh, one of the better all-around wingers in the league. And we knew coming into the season that the Wild had a very good defense from top to bottom. But Devin Dubnick has looked like the same goalie he was two years ago when he got traded to Minnesota and then uh, took them into the playoffs, basically put the team on his back. Well, he's been every bit as good this year. And really, if you look at his numbers over the last three years, he's at the top of the league in almost every single category. So I think uh, what they have in Minnesota now is pretty much the same roster plus Eric Stahl that they've had the last couple years, but maybe finally a coach who has implemented the right way to play which is up-tempo with uh, a lot of transition and and scoring and things like that. So uh, I I look at them as being one of the absolute best teams uh, in the Western Conference for sure.
0: Yeah, and when I say contender, I'm talking about Stanley Cup contender, and some teams that we're going to talk about uh, just don't really fall under that umbrella, but I'm going to say the Wild do. I think they're, you know, based on the body of work so far, uh, every team's played about 50 games or so. Uh, The wild would probably be the most impressive story coming out of the West. Uh, You just, you know, they went on that long run uh, that coincided with the blue jackets and you went, Oh, well, you know, which one of these teams is real or or are they both, or are they both kind of, you know, just riding a high right now. And the wild, like I, you try to kind of find, uh, you know, an argument, uh, a a devil's advocate kind of way to look at things with this. And there just isn't much to, uh, to really say against, against uh, the wild in this case. They're, they have the one thing that I think is being a bit overlooked, I guess you could say, in, in mainstream talk or, or just in general, is that Stanley Cup winners. They they always have a number one defenseman that eats minutes and is just so dependable and, you know, doesn't make many mistakes. And I think Ryan Suitors that type of guy. Um, and so you know, that's one component of it. And the fact that they've got guys that have not produced in the past or as much as they you know have not produced their potential in the past that are this season and then they're doing it all you know coinciding with with Zach Parise having like a weird off year where he has 22 points in 39 games um he's you know he's battled some injuries etc but um it's it's one of those things where you know the veterans are doing well the young guys are doing well the goalie's doing well like everything's kind of clicking and Bruce Boudreau coming on board—that's uh, there's there's no coincidence there. It's it's definitely a, uh, a situation where you could say Boudreau is Jack Adams worthy. Uh, just you know, you never think of Minnesota Wild as, as a Stanley Cup contender, and then you know, out of nowhere, a little bit here, they've uh, they've gotten into that conversation. Ab- absolutely.
1: Yeah, coming into this season, I think everybody in Minnesota looked at the team like, eh, you know, it's probably going to be another one of those years where they're going to be in seventh place or eighth place heading into the playoffs and a first round out is uh, the most likely scenario, but maybe even all of us who have watched hockey for so long and watched Bruce Boudreaux succeed for so long, still underestimated the man uh, in terms of his coaching prowess. But another thing too, is it can't be overlooked how much Eric Stahl has meant to this team. And if you're talking about a guy from an analytics perspective that a lot of people liked as, Uh, not a huge money signing we saw guys like Andrew Ladd and uh, David Backus sign these huge mega deals at older ages and there was a lot more questions about Eric Stahl but he has looked a lot like the player that was really great uh, for a number of years in Carolina sitting in really well my biggest concern was his skating and how fast he was going to be but you know there's a difference between skating fast and playing fast and Stahl has uh, transitioned him into playing a quick transition game with Bruce Boudreau pretty well. And he's got 41 points in, in 48 games, and I think he's played well at both ends of the ice. And In the past, I think this team was asking guys to either play out of position, guys who, who are more of wingers than centers like Granlund and Coyle, and and now down the middle, they're one of the strongest teams in the West from top to bottom with Saul, Miko Koivu, who's still playing well. Uh, and into his 30s as well, and then Eric Howla, who's uh, emerged as, as quite a good speedy center on, on the third line, so it's meant a lot, and yeah, I think uh, what you brought up is probably one of the biggest questions about Zach Parisi and whether he can get back to Zach Parisi level. I mean, they've done this all with him kind of being more of a third-line type player. Recently, he was playing down in the third line. We're not seeing him going to the net the way he used to, and I wonder if this is kind of what you have for Parisi this year with all the you know, damage he's taken to his body over the years, playing such a hard game. He may just now be the most expensive third liner in the league, but if you're playing with a team that has Parisi on the third line, your third line's probably better than whoever you're going to play in a seven-game series.
0: Well, and realistically, you know, if, if he does kind of turn things around, I'm not sure who he replaces on the top two lines because you have Niederreiter, Coyle, and Stahl as one line, and then Koivu, Granlin, and Zucker on another line. And both of those lines, if you look at them individually, their goals for a percentage at five-on-five five are near 80%. Like, they are just absolutely <laughs> controlling the situation, you know, uh, in one end, yeah. in the neutral zone, in the other end. Like, it's just – it's been a bit of a, a slaughter fest for them on other teams in terms of, uh, you know, the way the ice is tilting. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, one guy has a bad year out of 20. You know, what can you – What can you do if you're a Wild
1: fan, right? Yeah, and a bad year for Parisi is 22 points in 39 games, which is not abominable. It's just not where you expect his game to be. But, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that there's a lot of focus on what guys' contracts are as opposed to what they are as players right now. And maybe Parisi is a third-liner in terms of his production and his overall play at this point in his career, but Nino Niederreiter, who isn't making that much money, is a legitimate player, and, and, and now Granlund has stepped up uh, from a wing spot to be their leading scorer, and, and Zucker is one of the top even strength scorers in the league. So those are those are legitimate top six production from those players who are on bridge deals and are probably going to look to get paid when their RFA contracts come up. Uh, but since Parise is making so much money, that he's always lo- it's looked at as kind of like a disappointment for where he is. But if you took kind of the names off the back and didn't make contracts public and just looked at how they were playing, you'd say, well, for a third line to have Jason Pominville on one side and Parisi on another side, you're in in darn good shape. And I think one thing that Bruce Boudreaux has done super well is put guys in positions to succeed. Putting uh, really the Eric Stahl line has become this uh, possession line where they – have the puck a lot and they're very tough to get the puck away from. And they kind of hang on to it and wait and try to create scoring chances when they get a chance. And, uh, you know, you've seen Koivu and and there's kind of like this mix of guys who don't have the greatest speed with other guys that do have blazing speed uh, on some other line. So it's been, I think it's been really impressive. And also, if you uh, are another team and you're looking at your roster and how it's performing and you watch what happened in Minnesota, you might say, the same thing as Pittsburgh Penguins fans said last year, which is coaching really matters. And putting the right style to the right players is can be the difference between you being a cup contender and you being an eighth-place team.
0: Well, let's, let's transition then to uh, the Penguins. How do you look at them – at this point in the season, you know, obviously they're defending cup champs and, and not much has changed in terms of roster construction. Are you still looking at them and going, they're they're one of the best teams in the East and, you know, they they have three lines that are fast, that can score. Are you sort of like – like, to me, I look at them and I go, they're more or less a team from last year. Why would you ever count them out as a contender?
1: Uh, yeah, I look at it that way too. The biggest factor for me with the Penguins – is Chris Letang and his health, because they had him healthy all the way through the playoffs last year. And when he is healthy, he's up in that top range, the elite defenseman range, the, the guy who can do it all. Who I, I don't know if you feel this way, too, John, but I think he's gotten better as he's aged. I know that he's been dinged up, and uh, he had the – what was it, a stroke that uh, you know took – time away from him I, I think that was it I hope I don't have that wrong but you know he had to miss a lot of time but last year when he was healthy in the playoffs he was playing as good as any defenseman has played in the playoffs in a long time and this year at the beginning of the season he played 23 or he's got 23 points in 30 games and he was playing at an extremely high level but when the injuries take him off the ice there isn't another guy like that. I mean, almost no team has two number one defensemen. But there isn't another guy that's really anywhere close. So maybe in the regular season, Malkin and Crosby are just so good, Kessel's so good that they can make up for it, right? And Justin Schultz has done a great job on the power play, especially putting up points. But if you were asking Justin Schultz to carry the load or Trevor Daly or Ian Cole through playoff series after playoff series, you'd probably be in a lot of trouble. If Letang is there, though, I don't know where the flaw in this team really is. I I, I mean, they they run three-plus lines, and they have two of the greatest players, which, by the way, Evgeny Malkin is one of the 100 greatest players to ever play. Uh, He belonged on that list. But they have two of the, the best players in the game still. Who are just almost, you know, impossible to match up with when it comes to Malkin and Crosby. So it's just if they can get it from that back end. And now we also know that they have a goaltender who can step up in the playoffs too, in Matt Murray. That when it comes to going through a whole, uh, you know, a whole Stanley Cup run, that unlike Mark Andre Fleury, you can count on Murray to do it. So I mean, to me, they would still be at the top if you're giving me Latang uh, in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, a couple things to unpack there. So, totally agree about Latang. I mean, that would I guess be the weakness of their team is that they don't have really a rock back there that could step in and be, be Latang Junior, if you will. He's he's very much their number one, and after that it falls off. It's not it's not a terrible defense corps, but it's definitely not you know uh, all world or anything like that. And another thing, Malkin, yes, totally top one hundred player, but this is not the we're we're, we're going to shy away from that t- sort of talk right now, but. Yeah. I totally agree there, and then, and then my whole my whole kind of I guess uh, looking at it from the other perspective. Like I totally think they're a contender for the Stanley Cup. Absolutely, I agree with you. But I guess the the other side of the coin would be, you know, f- marc Andre Fleury has not played well this year. Uh, Matt Murray has, but like you know, he's still this young guy. He's still like you know, do we have enough kind of data on him to and and just just viewings on him to know if he's really you know uh you know an an all-star goalie or a star goalie whatever you want to call him at this point um so i guess that would be a little bit of a, a concern but i mean that, if that's your biggest concern that that the guy who has a 921 save percentage is uh is maybe going to fall off i i think you're you're probably okay
1: yeah and when you look at murray's history Now, not that AHL always projects to NHL, because we've seen a lot of guys be really bad in the AHL and then great in the NHL and then the opposite way, too. But Murray has been really excellent for his entire professional career. And going all the way through the playoffs last year, I feel like at some point he would have gotten exposed. But his mental toughness to come back after being benched for the one game for Fleury and, and uh, allow his team to continue to ride him, too. And they were playing, in my mind, kind of like an, an up-tempo game, a game that sometimes resulted in mistakes and asked their goaltender to uh, really play at a high level. So, I, I mean, I feel like the level of pressure, the concentration that goes into it, if he was not a really good goalie, he probably would have fallen off at some point there. I mean, I, I, don't, I think that you can win the Stanley Cup with just good goalies, and we've seen that in the past. But I don't think you can win the Stanley Cup with bad goalies. So even if Murray does slide back at some point, it's not going to be to the range of someone like Andre Pavlich or something or Cam Ward where it's going to be so bad that you can't uh, overcome it. I I think he's at least, at very worst, would give you an average performance.
0: Okay, I think we're in agreement over the Penguins and the Wild. Two powerhouses at this point. Uh, but one interesting one in the top 10 of points percentage is the Anaheim Ducks. Where are you on them? Pretender contender?
1: I would lean toward pretender with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I think in part is because of who their head coach is, uh, and, and maybe it's not fair, or maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, probably Toronto fans uh, would be very split on that, too, or maybe they would feel strongly that Randy Carlisle isn't uh, really a very good coach. I don't know, but I have always looked at uh, Carlisle since his early days in, in Anaheim as being really toward the bottom of coaches that haven't really changed their style to how they're playing in 2017, and I'm not so sure that I would really trust him. The other thing is, too, that I, I feel like the, the window for the Anaheim Ducks was there when Boudreaux took them to the Western Conference Finals. That would have been uh, two years ago. That, uh, they had everybody playing at a high level. Um, you know, Ryan Kessler was playing really well, and so was Getzlaff, and so was Perry, and they had some depth on that roster, and they had the defensemen just coming up. Now I feel like you don't have the same kind of Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry as you had a couple of years ago. Even though they're good, they're not producing at the type of level that they were, and you're having to rely on, I think, lesser players that would get exposed in the playoffs, um, I, I like Andrew Cogliano as a nice player, but if you're relying on him to be one of your key scorers in, in through, you know, a couple of playoff series, I think you're probably uh, not, in, not in great shape there. But they do have a, a really interesting defense. Lots of mobile guys that can move the puck and create. I think Cam Fowler is playing better this year than he played over the last two years under Bruce Boudreaux. I would still put them in the category of I'm not yet convinced on them.
0: Yeah, I'm in the pretender camp too. Not to agree with you on everything so far, but that's the way it's gone. You're free. <laughs> and my my bone to pick with them is kind of well, it's a few things. Uh when when I look at like an exercise like this, like I think, okay, what makes it what makes a championship team or a team that goes deep in the playoffs and uh, playoffs and I think, you know, reliable goaltending, it doesn't have to be uh, the best goaltending in the world, but reliable, and I think John Gibson can be, but eh, we'll see. So, they get kind of a half check mark there. Um Top top pairings, uh, top two pairings, they have to be good. I think they more or less have that. And then where they where they kind of uh, fall off for me is that they don't have much depth up front. I mean, they have the two first lines or the two the top two lines, I should say. Uh, Raquel, Gatslav, and Perry is the, really the the offensive driving line, and then their if you want to call it shutdown line, uh, which has actually been really good this year. Uh, Cogliano, Kessler, and Silverberg they've mm-hmm. produced well offensively as well, but you know, if you're looking at those objectively, uh, there's kind of a clear divide in terms of who's who's being counted on to attack and who's who's kind of getting put out there against uh, the top lines of the other team. But then after that, it kind of gets it gets a little ugly. Uh, so that's that's kind of where where I start, you know, putting question marks on the board. And uh, and also, I mean, Randy Carlisle's done better than I thought he would, but uh, he still mm. tends to lean on guys that that don't exactly help the team uh, as much as they, as another guy could, if you will, uh, kind of going towards the old school mentality. Like a Kevin Bieksa, uh, he's actually from my hometown, Kevin Bieksa, so I like have like – I don't know if you call it a bias, but like I think of him uh, when I look at the Ducks roster and man, he's he's a couple steps behind everyone at this point and he's still getting a ton of minutes and, I mean, he's a useful NHL player, but I think he just – he's relied on a little too much and, and there's a few examples of that on the Ducks roster, so – that's that's kind of where I'm at with them. I, I'm in no way saying that they're a bad team. I think they're a good team. But if we're talking about great teams that are going to contend for the Cup, I'd probably leave them off the list.
1: Yeah, what makes it interesting about the Western Conference, though, is that I'm not really entirely convinced on anybody. Uh, I mean, the Wild, I think, are the best team and will continue to be the best team from top to bottom on their roster. But it's not like it was a few years ago where it was, all right, so is it going to be the Kings or is it going to be the Blackhawks? And then, eh, okay, we'll wait till San Jose has a meltdown in whatever uh, playoff series it is because th- those were the couple of teams that were always uh, in that conversation. And now, I think San Jose is not as good as they were last year, and Chicago has one and a half lines, and here's Anaheim. With uh, I should mention Ryan Kessler is playing at an extremely high level, actually higher than I thought he was going to in his contract. I kind of figured he would take a Zach Parisi-like route and start to fade off because he has played so hard for so long, but he's their leading scorer right now uh, in terms of total points, so I mean, I guess he he has continued to to play well, so you could almost convince me on, on a lot of these Western Conference teams that, yes, are flawed, but the matchups are going to be so close because there's no team that really rises way above. But I think I agree with you that when you get into a playoff series, I think you need uh, at least one of your, one of your two centers in every series playing at an extremely high level, getting hot, scoring and doing everything. And then uh, having that true number one defenseman, which, you know, is Hampus Lindholm in that category, I'm not sure yet. I think he's, he's got a ways to go before I'm completely convinced that he is your legitimate, true number one that gets up in that category of your, you know, your Drew Dowdies and your, uh, your, you know, your Ryan Suter's and guys like that. So I mean, that's one of the things that makes every conversation about the Western Conference teams so interesting for whether they're a pretender or a contender, because it's like you could kind of push me either way when you start matching them up against other teams.
0: Well, if we're talking about line matching, I mean, the Edmonton Oilers would pose a bit of a a difficult situation for oppositions in the playoffs. I mean, what do you do with Connor McDavid? Like, let's just hypothetically say, you know, the Ducks end up facing him at some point in the playoffs. I guess you put Kessler on him and see what happens. But with the Oilers, I just, if you take McDavid out of the equation, I say absolute pretender. If you put him in the equation, I go, I'm a little on the fence, but... I think I still land on the pretender side of the fence um, just based on their development. Their, their, kinda, their arc, I think next year they're going to be a contender, and they're just not there yet. They just haven't had kind of enough time together with the Chris Russells and uh, the, you know, Adam Larson's getting added to the mix and just kind of trying to get out of that, that, that those losing ways of a whole, you know, decade. I don't think that turns around in a season. So um, where are you, though, on on the Oilers?
1: Well, you know, I talked about uh, with the Wild, you know, taking the nameplates off and then just looking at how guys are playing and what their numbers are and everything else and how they fit in. The logo for the Oilers is the thing that's pushing us back on them. I I don't know if it's really any numbers or roster that would make me say that they're not a contender other than just it's the Oilers, guys. They're (laughs) not supposed to be this good yet. This was supposed to take a couple of more years. Now, they're not one of the uh, elite, elite teams in some of the key statistical categories. They're not blowing the doors off teams in Goals 4. They're not blowing the doors off teams in Corsi. But they're right in that conversation with some of the other teams. I mean, they they are nearly identical in your your Corsi percentage to San Jose and to Chicago, teams that we consistently look at as uh, contenders. And the thing is, for me, I look at that series last year with uh, the Islanders and Panthers where John Tavares just decided he was going to win the series all by himself, and Thomas Grace did, but Tavares just took over completely, and then in the next series it was much tougher for him. I could see McDavid being so good that he can take over multiple series and be almost impossible to stop. And I've, I've thought about this with them and how they might match up with the Wild because the Wild like to play at this high pace, But how would they play in a shootout versus Connor McDavid and the speed of the Edmonton Oilers? The other thing, too, that the Oilers have just not had over this long stretch of drafting number one all the time is any semblance of a goaltender. And now Cam Talbot has done really well. So the question is, is Cam Talbot the 922 save percentage that he's put up so far this year? Because if he is, then he can bail out some of the defensive mistakes that they still make and having the offensive attack that they have. I mean, they're right now top ten in goals for and goals against. I I look at them as, in a, in a little bit of a way, like the uh, early Chicago teams that we probably thought the same thing when Kane and Taves were so young, and we said, I don't know, guys that young, are they really going to be able to do it? And uh, they were able to pull it off. Now, uh, the trade deadline is going to change a lot of these conversations because I think uh, Edmonton could use a little beefing up, but uh, – no, I'm on the side of them being absolutely a legitimate contender.
0: Here we go, our first disagreement, and let's go to the Blackhawks then, because you mentioned them like four times in that in that rant there. Um, with <laughs> <laughs> with them, I mean, the Kane and Isimov Panarin line is just. It, you could you can make the argument it's the the best line in hockey, and you could. Well, I mean, maybe the Bruins have the best line with with uh, Bergeron and and Marchand and. And Pasternak, and there's probably a couple other candidates. But, <laughs> like, that line, it's in its second season. Obviously, Panarin came came over from the KHL last year. They have 50 goals between the three of them. That's, that's pretty solid. And uh, the team is getting very elite goaltending from Darling and Crawford. So, um, it, it's, it's another one of those things, like you said, with taking the names off of stats or just taking the names off of, you know, what you're watching – Um, the, the Hawks are kind of the anti Oilers in that sense. Like they have so much kind of, I guess, holding power or or just like name recognition as, as contenders that it's hard to count them out. And then the Oilers are kind of the other way. It's like, how do you count them in when they've been so bad? But, um, I I, I'm, I'm saying the Blackhawks are a contender, but I'm not like a hundred percent sold on them. Uh, what about you?
1: I think they're like a, uh, are sort of like a yes, but, Sort of contender. Like I I would always say yes to a team that has a line as, as good as the one that uh, you mentioned, and a team with Patrick Kane, who is uh, you know the hard Trophy guy. So like, I, I would not want to count out a team with the elite level talent that they still run out there. But I would say in the past there would have been no question. If you had said, uh, are the Blackhawks contenders, we both would have laughed and said, oh, yeah, of course, are you stupid? Yeah, of course they're, they're the top contender. And now there's a lot more uh, holes in the roster than there once was. And I look at them as a team with about a line and a half uh, that are, could really compete uh, through you know the, an entire playoffs to the Stanley Cup. I think that's going to be very hard. I mean, even though Patrick Kane is as good as we've seen of an offensive player over the last decade, he still has playoff series, if you look it up, from time to time where he doesn't score because that's kind of how NHL scoring works. It's a lot of even strength play, and a lot of scorers are hot and cold. That's how it goes. So you'll have a series here or there where he isn't scoring. And if I'm a Blackhawks fan, I think my biggest fear would be that nobody else will step up and fill in some of those gaps, and then you'll just lose a series, even if uh, Crawford is good, and even if their defensive game is good, because no one else is scoring. I, I would be concerned if I'm a Blackhawks fan about where Jonathan Taves' production has gone over the last four years. I think he's still a very good player, but I mean, I, like the primes of NHL players, I mean, they end faster than anyone ever thinks they're going to, right? I mean, like when you see players dip in, in terms of their production. Even Wayne Gretzky's production starts to dip at a certain age, and you can point it out on his stat sheet where he's no longer putting up 190 points. And, uh, you know, Taves is still on the right side of the puck, but his even strength production and things like that has really fallen off. So if you only have that one line that's going to produce and Taves is struggling to score, uh, to me the team is just not strong enough to go all the way to the end. Uh, So I I guess I – I'm sort. Can I do a middle? Do I have to pick one? <laughs> sure. No, you can like you yes can get in the middle two.
0: there and, and and bounce around. Sure.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, I think if you really pressed me, I would still say yes because they are the Blackhawks, but I'm not really convinced.
0: Well, then I'll throw uh, I'll throw another kind of. Um, on-the-fence sort of team, uh, the New York Rangers. I know we when we spoke uh, a couple months ago, you were pretty high on them then. We were doing sort of a podcast about, like, so we predicted these, these things in September, and now it's, I think it was November, December. Now, like, how badly were our predictions? And you basically said, like, I underestimated the Rangers. They're actually a good team. So now that we're talking in late January, how do you feel about the Rangers? Are they a contender in your mind?
1: I think they are, but... If they were playing in the Western Conference, I would be saying, oh, yeah, they're right there with a lot of the other teams. But the fact that they're playing in the Metro with three teams who are blatantly better than them, I, I would say that I have a tough time seeing them getting all the way to the Stanley Cup final with the other teams that are playing in the East. Because no matter how things end up matching up for the uh, playoff uh, scenarios which by the way anytime the nhl wants to change that that'd be fine because it's a mess but anyway uh, <laughs> whoever they end up playing i mean you're gonna have to get through somebody who's much better than you and if i'm ranking eastern conference teams i still put them among the top but i don't think they're as good as montreal i don't think they're as good as pittsburgh i don't think they're as good as columbus or washington So they're probably right there and then it's all right, well, could they win a couple series on the back of Henrik Lundqvist? He hasn't played the same way that Henrik Lundqvist has played in the past, but he's still Henrik Lundqvist. So, yeah, I I, I still think that, yes, they're better than maybe a, a lot of people thought they were going to be. Maybe we thought they were going to dip off a little bit. But um, it's kind of like contender, yes, but they would have to have a lot go right with their goaltender through an entire playoffs to actually get to the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say pretender at this point in the season. I mean, Hendrick Lundqvist hasn't shown anything to – I mean, he had a good start to the season, but he's really kind of tailed off. And that was always their their go-to was, we got Hendrick Lundqvist. It's going to be okay. That's sort of, like, routine. And now they have a lot of forwards up front that are speedy. And if you actually look at uh, Corsica and the average shot distance per team, they're really close to the net. They're, like, 25 feet from the net as a an average um, – Number And, and, you know, teams are usually around 30. So they're clearly, like, they're driving the net. They're using their speed. So I like that they're playing a brand of hockey that suits them. I just don't know if percentages like Michael Gravner's 20% or JT Miller's 18.8 or Kreider's 15.4. I don't know if those hold up. Like, what if, you know, in one series, they just all go cold? I mean, I guess you could say that about anything, but I just... I don't know. I I I look uh, uh, like up and down the roster, and it's like if if Lundqvist isn't Lundqvist of old, um, I don't see them as as like you said competing in the East, which is actually probably the better conference now. Um, so like you know, I I I don't feel comfortable calling them a contender.
1: Yeah, as an aside to what you mentioned there about the statistics, I I think what we're seeing with uh, Corsi and things like that is. it's almost painting a better picture instead of who's good of how teams play. Like a team like Boston, who doesn't score a whole lot but takes all the shot attempts, uh, compared to a team like the Rangers, who is on the wrong side of the shot attempts but scores on a higher percentage and has consistently done that over the last couple of years with Elaine Vigneault, and I think we're seeing it with Bruce Boudreaux's team in Minnesota, too, Teams that are kind of packing it in and then trying to play like the transition scoring game where they're trying to score on the rush and cross-ice passes and two-on-ones, kind of playing for that one good shot as opposed to firing a bunch of pucks at the net. We've got Carolina once again in the top in course for like the fourth straight year, and they've never been good. So it's kind of one of those interesting things when you're trying to analyze a team statistically, but having them toward the bottom like that, I do wonder about in a playoff series, if you're not controlling the puck, can you really go all the way uh, with doing that? And and like you said, I think it's going to take the goaltender to be absolutely spectacular. So I I probably would be pushed toward the no category on that.
0: And speaking of good possession teams, you bring up the Boston Bruins, they're they're right up there with the LA Kings, so two teams that aren't exactly winning a lot um, as the top possession teams. And then right below those two guys is uh, the Montreal Canadiens. They're at 53% in terms of uh, Corsi 4 percentage adjusted for venue and score. That's a really long way to say that they're, <laughs> they're taking a lot of shots and the other team isn't taking many shots. But uh, the Canadiens are, are a team that uh, I've been a little convinced on this year. I, I put them in the contender been uh their power play is just lethal uh second in the league um and obviously next to columbus who's just been lights out and the weber trade has been just a massive win for them in you know you know pick pick a category that it could be a win it's been a win down the road is it going to be a win probably not but at this point um he's been everything and more for them and then pat scoring at a 35 goal pace kind of you know what you expect from him but um you know you never know what to expect going into a season if you're going to get uh, the goals that that you you think the the player can achieve, and as always, Carey Price is Carry Price, and they just have a lot of pieces that that I like. Uh, Brennan Gallagher, he's he's perfect playoff player if we're talking about uh, contenders, and you can go up and down their lineup. I, I'm, I'm fairly sold on on the Canadians at this point. Are are they a contender in your mind?
1: Uh, yeah, and and usually in the past we might have said, of course, they have Carey Price, and that's the only reason why. But you know. I, The thing is with that Shea Weber trade is that it so overshadowed the signing of Alexander Radulov. It's like nobody even noticed that he came back from the KHL, and we just sort of forgot what a magnificent player Alexander Radulov is. I don't know if he's the best guy to have around or if he's going to go out partying before a playoff game or whatever may come, but in terms of just a player, they got themselves a – star level top six player uh basically just off of free agency on a really good one-year deal and he's been everything that they could have hoped he would be this year he's putting pucks in the net he's setting people up he's dominating on the defensive end i mean it's one of the biggest problems that i think that montreal had was uh that their forward depth was pretty meh in the past and i think when alex Galchenyuk has been healthy this year too he's played like the star-level player that uh, they kind of hoped he would be. So with Galchenyuk starting to raise his play up, as you would expect from somebody drafted as high as he was, and then the addition of a star-level top-six player is like, oh, yeah, they made that trade, but they also made this huge addition to their lineup that if you took his name off and added somebody else with the same type of production – you would be talking about what a brilliant signing it was. So I think that's been the major factor. And I put them 100% in the contender range because they have everything from the forward depth to the great goaltending to the good defense at the top, at least. And that's where it's going to be very interesting to see what they do when it comes to the trade deadline because, you know, can they add somebody else on that back end? It's kind of been a little bit of a merry-go-round. They've run a lot of different defensemen out there. Uh, and and I'm not entirely sold on some of the guys that they're playing on a regular basis. So there are question marks with almost every team, but I think uh the only team in the Atlantic that should be considered a legit contender is Montreal. When
0: well, you mentioned the the trade deadline for Maybe the first time in the existence of the franchise, the Columbus Blue Jackets will be, will be buyers at the deadline. <laughs> I mean, m- maybe once before when they made the playoffs. Like, I just, I've ne- they've never been in this sort of upper echelon. Like, you know, if we had done this so- same podcast, the same exercise over their whole existence, they wouldn't be in. I doubt they would have ever cracked the top 10 in points percentage this deep into the season. And here they are. Um, And just one, a- similar to the Wild, but, but not i mean like they're exceeding expectations so are the wild but the blue Jackets are doing it kind of differently because at least from my perspective i thought okay uh sergey Borbowski, good goalie but has had bad seasons if he has a good season like he's had in the past um you know this team maybe sneaks in as a number eight or something this is my my preseason kind of reasoning and i asked around a few people within you know nhl front offices and just people like analysts went on they're like yeah i think that's pretty fair i'd say i'm more or less on that same kind of uh wavelength as you and here they are just obviously brabovsky has been great but they're s- somehow their special teams is just ridiculously good they're first in power play and their penalty kills ninth very very effective cam atkinson's probably going to score 40 goals which is just uh i don't think i've ever said that sentence in my life i don't think many people have <laughs> and uh I mean, I'm not I, like I'm not I'm not like kind of falling over them, like thinking that oh they're gonna win the cup just because they've had a good regular season. Like we'll see, but I've been waiting for them to fall off and they haven't. So uh, we're already fifty games in. I think they're 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 for real. Uh, what about you? Are are the are you high on them?
1: Yeah, I, I think they're for real. It's you know with them, I would have kind of the same question as you had with Edmonton. Some of these young players who have never had to carry a team through a playoffs. Like, will they be able to do it when things get tough? Because when you go into the playoffs, you're at some point going to play a team with a lot more playoff experience. Now, it's questionable how much that actually matters, but the pure number of players that they have on this team that don't have much in terms of playoff experience or just experience in the NHL in general, there are quite a few of them that uh, they rely heavily on, especially the defensemen. And I, I think that in the playoffs, it is the hardest on the defenseman of anyone. There's just so much pressure. If you make a mistake, you're going to be seeing that on every highlight reel for you know the next couple of days everywhere. If you have a bad turnover or uh, you miss somebody in front of the net or miss an assignment, and the, right now they're relying on two high draft picks, great talents, but how those guys can turn it up when it comes to playoff time might be a different story for Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. And I guess the same even goes for – Sergei Bobrovsky, like you mentioned, he has had his times where he has been as good as any goalie in the league, but we don't really know how that's going to go once it, it gets to playoff time because he just doesn't have a huge sample of playoff games. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, some people might argue, well, you know, it's all small samples with the playoff games, but there are some guys who clearly you know you can at least rely on to be good year after year, and other guys, <clears throat> Mark andre Fleury, that you know you can't really rely on from, from year to year. And I guess there are a lot of questions with that, but it's what an amazing job in terms of coaching by, I guess both of the uh, fairly new hires, if you call Tortorella a new hire um, in Boudreaux and Tortorella, Tortorella really shows us that every time we think we really know a coach or know what somebody's about, that they can, they can change like a chameleon. And he's really changed from what uh, everyone's perception of him was as this, you know, you better get back and block shots, just you know, eating nails type of guy, to playing the most up tempo game, uh, you know, way up there in, in the league, and then taking morning skates off too to have his team be more more fresh. So he's he's really shown a progressiveness to him that I'm not sure people thought was actually there, and uh, that's going to be something that I, I want to watch too because you're going to see him facing off with some other very smart progressive coaches when it comes to the playoffs and it's going to make for some great battles but 100% i put them uh, in the category of a legit contender well
0: and you bring up Tortorella. I have i don't know if i've ever seen a coach go from basically his stock was as low as it could have been after the world cup of hockey because everyone was just kind of blasting team usa and he's right he was behind the bench making the decisions um, you know putting abdolkater out there instead of you know a more skilled guy kind of those old school um, you know ways of the past and you know it flies in the face of uh, of team North America. So it was just the, the stock couldn't have been lower going this season in terms of Tortorella. And then it's, it's almost like a a switch was flipped and all of a sudden now he's like (laughs) coach of the year candidate. Um, But a guy who's always been at least, you know, seen by the media and players and other hockey insiders as an elite coach is Barry Trotz. And the Capitals are the ninth team on this list in terms of how we've gone, gone about going through all the different uh, contenders or pretenders and uh, the other one is the Sharks, and we'll get to them last. But with the Capitals, it's I'm I'm, I'm literally shaking my head right now at this number. They've only allowed 102 goals in 49 games. I mean, thinking about the Capitals and defense, that wasn't a thing. Uh, well, I guess it's about three years ago now, or whatever. It, you know, that that's kind of the old narrative that they cared too much about offense. And then you know, Barry Trotz has come in, and obviously has changed that, and built you know a, a good core on defense. And obviously, Braden Holtby has been a huge um, contributor to that, they they don't have many uh, weaknesses, and obviously they'll try to add at the deadline, as as is every team we've been talking about. And I guess the only concern might be that they've been taking a lot of penalties. Uh, they have the they have a minus twenty three penalty differential, so that's something to maybe keep an eye on. But if that's you know your biggest worry, uh, I think Trotz can probably hammer that into the players on the way to the playoffs, and it'll be okay. Are you are you thinking of them as a, a cup contender? Is that even a question at this point?
1: Yeah, probably not really. I mean, if you're in the Metro and in the top four, you're probably a a contender at this point. But, you know, with Washington, if there's one thing that uh, I wonder about with them that I've wondered about every time they've gotten eliminated, whether it was bad luck in facing Yaroslav Halak, uh, the hottest goalie on earth for seven games or whatever it was the one year in Montreal, um, or it's just... You know, whatever they give up, uh, too many bad chances. Whatever reason, there's always been some reason that they get eliminated. But one thing has always been consistent in my mind with this team is that they do not have the number one elite defenseman. That they've, you know, Mike Green is a good is a good defenseman, and at his best, he's putting up tons and tons of points. But was always questionable. He was always a fourth forward. Uh, when it came to defense and John Carlson has had some really great years, but I've never looked at him as this just dominating force that you think of with, you know, guys who've won the cup, like Lidstrom and Chara and Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty. I think of those guys as you can play them 30 plus minutes in the playoffs and they will give you the highest level play. They can completely dominate on their own even when their teams are, are going up and down you know, throughout a playoff series, I don't know that there's that guy on Washington. They have good players. I like Orlov is a great skater. I like Niskanen as a solid player. Uh, I don't think that Orpik or Olsner have what they used to, and you know, Carlson is, is pretty good. But there isn't that one monster defenseman, and I, I can't find a Stanley Cup team that doesn't have that guy. Uh, you know, recently or I mean even you could just keep going back that doesn't have some hall of fame caliber defenseman and I don't think the Capitals have that.
0: Yeah, you like that's something I, I overlooked in my my mini rant there and it's a it's a fantastic point. I tried to make it a bit earlier with uh with uh I think it was the Ducks. Um or no, no, with the wild with Ryan Souter. That you just you you run down the list of Stanley Cup champions and it's like okay, Doughty, Keith, Lidstrom you know, you just keep going and going, and there's always that stud. And I don't think Washington has it, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. That's 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 a bit of a question mark. Um, but uh, perfect segue to the San Jose Sharks because they could possibly have, depending on where you land on this conversation, they could possibly have the best defenseman in the world in Brent Burns. And he's just been I – th- I honestly thought he capped out last year uh, in terms of how good he could be or how productive he could be and what he could bring to the table. And he's kind of blown that out of the water. You know, the Sharks, they're my Stanley Cup pick at at preseason. And, you know, the start of the year, I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? And then uh, now I'm I'm kind of getting back on board in terms of uh, feeling confident about that pick. I've talked about them a fair amount on this podcast, so I'm going to throw it to you. Um, I obviously think they're a contender. Do you think the Sharks are legit?
1: Hmm. You know, they... Not as much as I thought they were going into the playoffs last year. Last year, they were my pick last year, and I will brag that uh, actually both of my picks going into last year's playoffs ended up in the Stanley Cup final, uh, which that's the first time I think in my life that that's actually happened. But, um, you know, there's a few concerns that I have with them, and one of them is that last year they were scoring a lot more at even strength uh, than they are this year. Brent Burns is – fantastic and is playing at just the highest level of defenseman can play on the offensive side and, and last year really I, I thought that uh, other guys made up for some of his defensive shortcomings or maybe you would just call it his riskiness that occasionally ends up being costly but you know Mark Edward Vlasic has been through a, a lot of games in his career and I think his play might be starting to dip a little bit from where it was and I mean I guess you would say even if you Took these elite players and just took a little percentage off the top. I mean, they're already beating the age curve by a mile. But Joe Thornton last year had a great argument for the Hart Trophy. This year, he's nowhere close uh, to the level that he was playing at last year in terms of his stats, in terms of controlling the play, in terms of his even strength scoring and things like that. It's still really good, but it's not at this incredible, incredible level for his age. So when I look at the at at this team that was built really to win last year with all of these guys, and that would include Vlasic and and Paul Martin being at their, already past their prime, but still playing at a level like they were at their prime. I don't think they're as good this year. And uh, I guess we were shown that we can trust their goaltending, but I think that's where it is for me is I look at them as not as much of a contender as some other teams, because I I don't trust uh, what they've done so far this year. As uh, it just it just is not quite to that level that I think it needs to be in order to be a legitimate cup contender. I mean I could be wrong because they are still uh, sporting a couple of Hall of Famers on this team, so who knows? But it it just hasn't really uh, I guess blown me away like it did last year. They're kind of you know middle of the road in terms of your goals for percentage, middle of the road in terms of your Corsi percentage. And last year they went into the playoffs after they got Logan Couture back as about the hottest team in the league, which is why I thought they had a chance to go deep. So if they can do that again, then, uh, you know, maybe we're we're talking about something different. But uh, right now, I would say I would say pretender.
0: Right on. And you before we uh, we went on the air, you said you were going to bring the hotness to this uh, podcast. And I feel like uh, a little bit you've brought you've brought some hotness for sure in terms of your hot takes. And I I appreciate you coming on. And it's good to kind of distract ourselves from uh, the bullshit going on in the in the world right now. (laughs) To be honest, like I'm not even uh, I'm trying not to sugarcoat it. But um, that's all 10 teams. And we disagreed on a couple here and there. But I mean, there's just the dominance at the top of this league. It's hard to really uh, it's hard to really like have a have a counter argument to uh, to certain teams like the Wild and the Capitals. I mean, like what it's you're you're kind of nitpicking with some of these teams.
1: Yeah, no, I I certainly don't disagree with your other statement. Uh, Watching my Twitter feed all day is just like a horror show. But um, to me, it's, you know, in the Western Conference, it's much much more wide open, I think. Like, I think that we've got in the Eastern Conference are a couple of teams that we know it's going to be, I I think at least, we know it's going to be Montreal, Washington, Columbus, Pittsburgh. And it's one of those four. And anybody else would really stun me. If Even though Boston's got the Corsi, they don't have the goals, and uh, their defense, I'm not sure, can play multiple series and continue to win and ask that much of Chara uh, from a night-to-night basis. But anybody else, if Tampa Bay came from the bottom and made a furious run or something like that, I would be stunned if anybody else was there except for those teams. With the Western Conference, you could sell me right now, you could tell me that, Somehow Los Angeles came back from not in the playoffs to make the Stanley Cup or, I don't know, Dallas for that matter because they were so good last year and it seems everything's gone wrong for them. Uh, you, you mentioned the Shea Weber trade. Don't count out Nashville as a team to make a, a second-half run here and get really hot with P.K. Subban coming back for them. So the West, to me, is, it, it's wild out there in the West and uh wild like you right Yeah, but the east is much more (laughs) focused i'll just use that all day
0: (laughs) love it but i think you're right and the the west the the bottom feeders of the west are just so terrible i wrote about the colorado avalanche today and they're like historically bad and then you have the arizona coyotes like when you have those two at the bottom it's just a feeding frenzy and then anyways matt i i appreciate you coming on how can people uh find your work
1: uh usually tweet out all the gems that i write i'm just kidding Uh, It's uh, at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R is the last name, and also 1500ESPN.com and ESPN Insider.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Matt.
1: All right. Thanks, man.